I titled this morning's message, Faith, Hope, and Love. And the text that I uh, got that from is out of First Thessalonians. We, as Christians, we have really, in the theological sense, there are really three words. These three words of faith, hope, and love, they're virtues, really, of the Christian faith. And we, as believers, we need to understand really uh, what faith, hope, and love, what it does for us. These are really, if you want to say, gifts from God. God gave us faith, he's given us hope, and he's given us love. And these are areas that God uses within a Christian's life. If you read the love chapter, anyone know what the love chapter is in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13, and you read of this whole description of really what this supernatural kind of love is, and you could read that on your own, but it finishes up in that chapter, and it says this in verse 13. After Paul uh, writes and describes this love, he says, and now abides faith, hope, and love. These three But the greatest of these is love. Uh, Out of those three, he says, the greatest of these is love. If you look in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, verse 22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? First, love. And out of love flows these other eight fruits that come forth out of love. Joy follows that. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then it says this, against such things there is no law. Against these things there is no law. What's he mean by that? What's Paul saying there? Well, there's no law that can keep a person when the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. There's no law that could be written that could keep you from having joy in the Lord. There is no law written that can keep you from experiencing the peace of God in your life or the long-suffering that God gives to us by His Spirit. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We are able, if you were to be locked up into a prison, you could exercise these things. Because this is really the love of God poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God that has been given to you. It's something that somebody that does not know Christ, they can't experience. But you and I have that. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul writes this, Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. There's this word hope. And it says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. Faith, hope, and love. The three virtues of really the Christian's life. If you look up, 
it's interesting if you look up various religions in the world you'll see that they all have their own virtues their own set of things that they follow it's unique to Christianity these three virtues faith hope and love the other religions of the world don't follow those for their virtues but faith is one of those words that uh, there's a lot that could be said about faith. There's saving faith. There's, there's uh, faith that's tested. There's all kinds of aspects that we could talk about when we talk about faith. But what I want to center on this morning is about a faith that is active, a faith that is actually working, a faith that is actually doing something. And if you look at the book of Hebrews... It tells us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him and please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Hebrews eleven seven, it tells us this. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. What do I get out of that? I, I see here Noah preparing an ark. He was really commanded by God to prepare this ark. And himself and his family members were saved only because in obedience, Noah moved upon, by his faith, he moved upon that and he built that ark. Now, Noah built that ark for a hundred years. It had not yet rained on the earth. He was being mocked. For if Noah and his sons would have chose not to, if they would have got frustrated in the the last year of building that, that boat... And they would have thrown their hands up in the air and says, forget it. We're not doing this. What are we out here for? And they wouldn't have put that last board on the bottom of that boat. What would have happened? They would have perished with the rest of the world. They had to, in faith, believe God. They had to build that boat as God had commanded them and given them the dimensions. And they had to build it to the end. And it was to the saving of his household. In Hebrews 11.8, we read that by faith, Abraham, he obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And then we're told, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. Kind of like David and Hannah. They're on this journey. They don't really see all the points and how it's all going to work out. But it's an act of obedience when God calls us to do something and that we would step forward and do it. That's what real faith is. Real faith is active. It's not something uh, like just a theological term that we use, oh, I have faith. It's actually putting feet to our faith and doing something with God that God calls us to do. It's an act of obedience. In Hebrews 11.17 We know that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac upon that altar. His faith was tested to its very core. 
He took his son and he was going to kill his son because God had told him to do that. But believing that God would be, even be able to raise his son from the dead if he were to slay his son. That was real faith. That was active faith, stepping out and actually believing God. That's the kind of faith that God wants us to operate in as a church. God, grow my faith. Make me really believe you for bigger things than I do today. And that's, I believe, for all of us. It's for me, it's for you. And and, and faith is something that just doesn't sit idle. It's something that we need to ask God to grow us in. Grow my faith. Help me to take bigger steps of faith for you, Lord. Faith and real faith, I believe, is a faith that works. It moves us to action. It'll be seen by people. Do you know that people actually will observe you as a Christian? There will be people within even the body of Christ that will observe when there's certain people that are just... They're, they're men and women of faith. They're actually stepping out, believing God, and holding on to things that some people are going, how do you do that? And you know what? People observe and people see. And, and, and in a sense, you become great examples for the Lord when you really just step out in faith, trusting God. And I believe God is just, I believe that he is just in heaven, just looking at his children that do that and go, I love it. I love it when I see my children just stepping out and believing in me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We also have hope as believers. And hope, as I've shared many times by definition, is confident expectation. As Christians, we have hope. Uh, unlike the world that has no hope, we have this hope. And what does hope do for you? If you really have the hope of Christ's return, if you know that this is all just temporary and it's all going to come to an end someday, then what does hope do for you? Well, it helps you to persevere. It helps you to just steady on and keep going forward. Even when it seems like things are breaking down around you, and things are not going well, or when you're being persecuted, or things are, you know, it it, it keeps us going. Really, hope is the remedy for despair in our life. Have you ever felt that? Despair, and then all of a sudden, hope rises up. You, You start reading the Word of God. You start reading a promise out of His Word. You start, you have another brother, sister say something, and hope rises up. And we get refreshed again by hope. It assures us of things that are still promised that are future. We're assured of them. It's confident expectation that these things are going to come to pass just as God promised, and I can trust that. And it it enables me to keep going forward. It keeps us from turning back. How many of us have ever been tempted to turn back, to turn away, and to say, you know what, this road is a little too hard. It actually seemed easier for me when I wasn't a Christian. I gave my life to Christ, and it seemed like things went bad. I got all kinds of issues. 
And when we really grab on to hope, and when hope is really, I believe, just growing in our hearts, uh, there's nothing really that can move you. It's what we read in Hebrews 11 of all the men and women that suffered greatly at the hands of this world. And they steadied on because they looked ahead for a country that was better, a heavenly place. We read in Hebrews 11.13 that they all died in faith. All of them. They died. They, they, they had not yet received the promise, we're told. But having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. Do you see the promises afar off for you? Are you here today in light of all the things that are going on in your life around you? But do you see afar off? And it could that far off could be today. But do you see the promises that God has given to you? We're told that these Old Testament saints, that they embraced these promises. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's what caused these men and women to persevere, to steady on. Romans 8, 24, Paul says this, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen, but hope that is seen is not hope, For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Hope, I believe, waits in anticipation. We're anticipating that day to come to pass. Hope waits in expectation. I'm expecting God that you're going to bring these things to pass as you have promised. And hope also reaches through the dark, the dark things in this life with confidence, strong confidence. Faith, we also have hope, and then we have love. The supernatural love, this unconditional sacrificial love that Jesus Christ demonstrated towards us. He hung on the cross. We see it there. We see it sacrificially on that cross. For me, for you, he died. That's the kind of love that he has poured out into your heart by his Holy Spirit. The same love that he has for you lives and dwells inside of you by his Holy Spirit. What do we do with it? What do we do with that love that has been placed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? It needs to be something active. We're called to do something with that love. We're called to extend it the same way. This is how we perceive the love of God, 1 John three sixteen. This is how we perceive the love of God, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our life for one another. 
The Apostle John has been referred to as the Apostle of Love. Different commentators have referred to him that because of how much he has written about love in the Gospel of John. He's also written much about it in 1 John, another, <clears throat> excuse me, another letter that he wrote. But it, we read in John's Gospel in chapter 13, verse 34, these are Jesus' words, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. You know, this world is desperate to see that real love. <clears throat> Everybody wants to be loved. And I believe that without them even knowing it, they're desperate to really see the kind of love that we possess. But they need to be able to see it within our lives. They need to be able to see it within the church. And there are many within the church that are really not good representatives of the love of Christ. They judge and they come across as, as holier than thou type, and they, they don't get out amongst the people with the love of Christ. Jesus also said in John 15, 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is, the com this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. A commandment. This is not an option for anybody that calls themselves a Christian. It's not an option. We're commanded by the Lord red letters here, to love one another unconditionally, sacrificially, to lay down our lives for one another. What does that mean? Does that mean I have to die for you? Maybe. Does that mean just that I need to give of myself in whatever way so that I can extend God's love to one another? That's what God calls it. It'll cost us something to do. It costs Jesus everything. It'll cost us something to love people the way Jesus loved us. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in the gospel. But listen to what John himself learned. This is what he learned. 1 John 3.16, I've already shared with you. But 1 John 4.7 says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. John's saying this is a characteristic of a real believer right here, that they actually will love others. And then he says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He's saying this is the primary thing that I could show you. You, I, you want to see a believer? It's a person that has love, the love of Christ in them. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might th live through him in this 
is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins or the covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Real easy to say it, but to live it out, that's where, it, that's where it'll cost us. That's where it's hard at times. Paul, on his second missionary journey, he came into an area of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica, a brand new city, uh, for him he goes in and we're told in the book of Acts in chapter 17 that when he came into that city, city, he preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. We know that there was a, a, a multitude of people that got saved. Paul got persecuted. He was there with Silas. He was there with Timothy at the same time, the three of them. He was ran out of that city. And he left that city and, and basically for fear of his life, the believers or the people that were there told him, Paul, you need to leave. Paul left with Silas and Timothy. He made his way to Berea. When he got to Berea, the same thing happened. As a matter of fact, the Jews that were in Thessalonica followed after him, came down to Berea and began to persecute Paul there as he went into the synagogue there. And Paul, uh, uh, once again, was ran out of town from Berea. From there, he went down to Athens. And while he was in Athens, he began to have this uh, really uh, thinking about the believers that were back there in Thessalonica that had turned from their idols to serve the living and true God. They were under persecution. He knew they were brand new, new believers. He'd only been with them a short amount of time. He wanted to get back to them and see how they were doing. So during that time, Paul makes his way over to Corinth. And from there, he tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to go back to Thessalonica. And when you get there, I want to get a report back from you of how they're doing. And so we read and we pick that up actually in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'll finish with this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are uh, both the ones that had come into the city, saw this multitude of people saved. Timothy comes back with this report and tells Paul, Paul, they're doing well. Paul, they're doing good. They, they actually left their idols, idols that they were following, and they're following after God still. And so Paul begins to write, probably from Corinth there, he begins to write a letter that he's going to send back to the church there at Thessalonica to encourage them. This is what he says. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers and remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith or your faith that works. Remembering without ceasing your labor of love or the love that you have that labors. Remembering without ceasing your patience of hope or your hope that is patiently enduring. That's what Paul is rejoicing in. I got this report back from Timothy that these three virtues, these things that I would look for in a church, they're happening in you. 
He says this patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God and Father. And then he says this, knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God. You know why he says that, I believe? is because, you know what, this is evidence. This is evidence that what took place of this multitude of people that gave their life, it's real. They're actually living it out. We know that Paul went on to say of them, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples. I like this. This church at Thessalonica has been referred to as a model church. I would love Calvary Chapel Fellowship to be a model church. Why? Because a model church would be what this surrounding area here would see. This model church would be what people that you work with would see. They would see believers that are actually living out these things. But look what it says of this example. He says, So you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God had gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. In other words, you guys are doing it. You're going everywhere. The persecution that you're even in the midst, it's not holding you back. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's rejoicing of heart for this model church that was taking the gospel out wherever they could go. That's my prayer for us. Even in light of last excuse me, last week's message on us being salt and light, that we would go out this week and, Lord, give me opportunity. Let me shine for you. Let my faith be strengthened today. Let me go out, Lord, with, with, with strong confidence, strong hope, Lord, that you're, you're coming back. The time's short. There's work to be done. And, Lord, just let me, Lord, show forth your love. Let your love be evident in me. Let it be evident at home with my wife, my husband. Let it be evident with my children. Let it be evident at work. Let it be evident at church here around our brothers and sisters. Let your love be evident in my life. Do that work.